Are you prepared to live a life faithful and following Jesus Christ without any compromise? No compromise. Last week I mentioned and I've alluded to it a few times, I think, that the favor of Christianity in the West is waning. And while I think this is true in many senses, it is not entirely true in every sense. I want to clarify that though the inception of our nation borrowed Christian principles, it is not as if since the Declaration of Independence, faithful Christians have always been the favored cultural majority. If you were a Christian in the South, or for that matter, most of the North, in the early 1800s, did you live in a time when the true faithful church of Jesus Christ was given great favor in culture, in politics, and in law? And the answer is no. No, you did not. A war was fought, in fact, in our country precisely because the faithful church of Jesus Christ for decades and for centuries compromised on the slave trade in America. I started reading a book this year entitled A Holy Baptism of Fire and Blood, The Use of the Bible in the American Civil War. And it ain't pretty. Two weeks before Abraham Lincoln's election, James C. Furman, a Baptist minister and president of Furman University, co-authored a letter to the other South Carolina residents imploring them to join the cessation movement. Why? It's because the Bible affirms slavery, they said. The letter argues that the gospel of northern fanaticism, that every man is born free and equal, is untrue. The idea, Furman said, contradicts common sense. It contradicts history and the Bible. The Negro is not your equal unless the Bible be untrue, he argued. Let me ask you a question. Would you, would any of us here be willing to lose our place in society, our jobs, our comfort, favor with our churches, or our friends to stand up to the wickedness of slavery, especially slavery defended as biblical? Maybe you wouldn't have owned slaves yourselves, Maybe you're not a racist yourself, after all. At the beginning of the Civil War, only 25% of Southerners actually owned slaves. Would you be a silent 75%? Would you say something? Or would you compromise because it would be too costly to say something out loud? Would you compromise what you knew is right for personal comfort? Oh, friends, brothers, and sisters, there has always been something that faithful Christians can get in trouble for. There is always favor that we have to be lost for believing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of God's Word. If you haven't watched it yet, I encourage you to watch the television series, The Chosen, of the life of Jesus Christ and his disciples. It's not always historically accurate, but they're not aiming for that. But I do think it is fairly faithful. The last episode of the first season, Jesus and his disciples are walking from Jacob's well off that mountain down into the city of Sychar. And what 
I think it's brilliant and I love that the very last words sung in the last song of the first season over the picture of Jesus and his disciples walking down into the valley of Sychar in Samaria, the last word is trouble. Here comes trouble for Sychar. In a good way, but Jesus did not come just to fit in. He didn't come to say that everyone is right. He came to speak the truth that God had given him for all people. Are you prepared to live a life of no compromise in your faith toward Jesus Christ? If so, you can expect a little trouble. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us grace this morning to have ears to hear, eyes to see, that as we hear with the ears on the sides of our heads, we would too more so hear in the heart, in the soul, in our chests. Help us take your word seriously. Leave here lighthearted with the hope of the gospel and yet heavy burdened with faithfulness, walking with you as we sing, teach us full obedience. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going through the book of Revelation as Marilyn read for us this morning. We're in Revelation chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. We'll look at chapter 2, verse 13 to 14 with me again says to the church, Jesus says to the church in Pergamum, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak, to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. When you hear the names Balaam and Balak, it might not mean much to you. Perhaps at best you remember the Sunday school story about Balaam's donkey talking. Or maybe you've talk, told someone who was discouraged in evangelism, hey, if God can use donkey, God can use you to talk. But for Jesus, it was an important moment that he wanted the church to remember an important moment where Israel was tempted to compromise faithfulness. To recall the story of Balaam and Balak is to recall a moment in Israel's history when they compromised. Go with me back in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers 22. My Bible, that puts me around page 130, so that gives you a guess toward the front there. The people of Israel in this moment are on the way between two of the most important locations in all history, Egypt and the Promised Land. And more narrowly, as we'll see in chapter 22, verse 1, the people are between two more particular places, which are Jericho and the Jordan River, an even tighter spot 
between Egypt, their south, where they were saved from, the promised land where they were headed. Let's read, let's grasp the several chapters here in the book of Numbers. What is the story? What is the memory of Balaam and Balak? And why does that matter to Jesus? And why should it matter to the church? Numbers chapter 22, verse 1. Numbers 22, verse 1. Then the people of Israel set out and they camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. There's so much history between the meaning of these two locations. We don't have time to go through it all. But look, there is a king of Moab named Balak. Balak is the king of Moab, an enemy nation to Israel. And the king of Moab realizes there are a lot of Israelites, a lot of them, and they are going to eat up all of the resources, and they're going to be a danger to us nations who have been here for a while. The king of Moab was afraid. Look in chapter 22, verse 4 through 6. Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde is now going to lick up all that is around us like the ox licks up the grass of the field. I think that means they're going to eat all the food. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Ammah, to call him, saying to Balaam, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now and curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. Balak is saying, let me do this for us. Perhaps I'll be able to drive them out of the land for all of us other peoples. For I know that he whom you blessed, Balaam, who you bless is blessed, and whom you curse is cursed. Balaam seems to have the reputation of a prophet. Balaam speaks to Israel's God. He has some connection to be able to curse Israel who has come up out of Egypt. So Balaam, or Balak, king of Moab, is like, curse these people so we don't die ourselves. And the prophet Balaam prays to God. And God of Israel says later in this chapter as we continue to go, God says, do not go back to Moab with them. Don't do that. Don't go to Moab with them. Don't go to Balak. Don't go see the king. And don't go curse Israel. But King Balak would not let him say no. This time the King Balak sent more princes and more honorable men to explore the pro- to implore the prophet Balaam to curse Israel again. And this time Balaam goes with the men. He goes with the men back to King Balak who wants to curse Israel. So Balaam gets on his donkey and he goes with two of his servants toward Moab to see Balak. But on the way, the donkey saw an angel of the Lord blocking the way of the road. The donkey was afraid and hit off into the field this direction. Balaam hit the donkey to get the donkey to go back into the road. The donkey then sees the angel again, and this time they were in between two walls, and the donkey presses Balaam's foot into a wall. So Balaam hits the donkey again to get him back into the road where he's supposed to go. Then the donkey sees the angel Again, The donkey this time is hit. The donkey speaks to Balaam. Why did you hit me these three times? 
Why, why did you strike me? To which Balaam, apparently used to talking to donkeys, simply replies, because you made a fool out of me. And if I had a sword, I would kill you. That's what the man said to his own donkey. The donkey simply said, I've been your donkey your whole life. Have I ever treated you like this before? To which Balaam had to answer, no, no. You've never done this before. Lay down in the road. Numbers chapter 22, verse 31. See what happens next. Numbers 22, verse 31. This is important for our text in Revelation. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. I know that you're going to Balak to curse Israel. Verse 33, The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood on the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. I won't go to Balak. I won't go to Moab and curse Israel. Verse 35, the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. When Balaam finally meets King Balak in Moab, he simply says, chapter 22, verse 38, Behold, I've come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? No. The word that God puts in my mouth, that's what I'm going to say to you. That's the commitment he made to the angel. I'll only say what God says. From there, Balak incites Balaam to bring curses on Israel, but Balaam won't do it. Balaam will only say what God says. He won't curse Israel. He will only bless Israel because only God because God will only bless Israel. Look at chapter 23, verse 8, the good summary of Balaam's first message to Balak. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? King Balak is upset. So you you blessed Israel instead of cursing Israel. The very opposite of why I brought you here. So Balak again implores him. Put some sacrifices out him. Go over here and curse them. But Balaam again after talking with God refuses. You can see a summary in chapter 23 verse 20. Behold I received a command to bless. He God has blessed. I can't revoke it. I can't curse when God blesses. And Balaam would offer one more blessing before returning home. So it looks like in this moment, Israel is safe there between Jericho and the Jordan. They are safe. The king of Moab wanted them dead. But God and his angel with the sword and the donkey, talking donkey and Balaam himself intervened. They all kept Israel from being cursed, which would have meant they would have been overrun by Moab. Now watch what happens. The end of chapter 24, Balaam prophesies about the Amalekites who opposed Israel. They will be destroyed. What about the Kenites? 
they will be taken captive and destroyed. Balaam does curse them by God's word in that sense. But not Israel. Israel is God's. There's Israel, God's people, between Jericho and the Jordan River, safe. Saved for the moment. Safe from Moab. But even though they were saved from their enemies, safe from King Balak of Moab, they compromised. Israel's enemies couldn't touch them. Three times the king tried to get God to curse and Balaam to curse Israel so that they would be defeated and God would not let that happen. But his people turned from him. Look what happens next. The king of Moab had no power over Israel. The king of Moab could not curse Israel. But why don't we send the daughters of Moab to flirt with the boys in Israel. Numbers chapter 25, verse 1 through 3. When Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. We're protected from Moab, but we begin to whore with the daughters of Moab These invited the people to sacrifices of their gods. The daughters of Moab came to the sons of Israel and said, Why don't you guys come to our sacrifices for our gods with us? And the people of Israel bowed down to Moab's gods. 25 verse 3. So Israel yoked himself to Baal at Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. King Balak couldn't get Israel cursed. King Balak could not destroy Israel. He couldn't get them cursed, but he could get them to compromise. They whored with the daughters of Moab and worshipped the gods of Moab. Slept with them, ate with them, worshipped their gods. Remember that combination of Israel's compromise. Slept with their daughters, ate at their sacrificial dinners, and bowed down to their gods. Why did Israel do that? Where in the world did Israel get the idea to hang out with the girls from the enemy, from Moab? Why in the world would Israel bow down to worship the gods of Moab? Go to Numbers chapter 31. Numbers chapter 31, a few chapters later, as we come to the end of the saga of Moab and God's dealing with them. Numbers chapter 31, look at verse 15 and 16. Moses is leading the people of God to overcome their enemies, to get out of their way, prove that he is God into the promised land. And on the way, Numbers 31 verse 15, Moses said to them, Have you let all of the women live? That is, the women of Moab. 
who brought the men to Hor with them and with Balaam. Verse 16. Behold, these on Balaam's advice caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. Balaam wouldn't say any other word. He wouldn't curse Israel on God's behalf. But scriptures say he does come back around and tell Balak, listen, I can't curse Israel. Your military is not going to be any good against them. But here's how you can get them to compromise. Israel survived the battle of Jericho. They're now one step closer to the promised land to heaven. They survived being cursed and destroyed by the king of Moab. But God caused 24,000 Israelites to die of plague because even though he protected them, they went after the girls from Moab and worshipped their gods. God protected them from the king of Moab, but when they went after the women, the sacrificed food and the worship of Moab, God would not tolerate. And is it the end of the account? No, considered how Balaam the prophet himself died. What happened to Balaam? What happened to the one who only would speak the words of God to Israel? Back in Numbers 22. Numbers 31 verse 8. Balaam who told his donkey that he would kill him with the sword. Balaam himself died by the sword. Spent a lot of time looking at Numbers and at Balak and at Balaam because a long look at Numbers will give us a more quick understanding of what Jesus means to the church of Pergamum in Revelation chapter 2. Go there again. Revelation chapter 2, pick up in verse 12. See if you don't see something, an article, a weapon that sounds familiar. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write the words of him. This is Jesus Christ who has the sharp two-edged sword. Did we see a sword in Balaam's story? We did. Balaam threatened the donkey. If I had a sword, I'd kill you right now. And when the angel appeared, when the angel was seen by Balaam himself, What was the angel doing? Standing with his sword unsheathed to face Balaam. Revelation chapter 2 verse 13 continuing. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name. And you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Friends, this is like Israel's situation. Even though many countries between Jericho and the Jordan River wanted Israel dead, Israel kept surviving battles. They did not turn away because they lost battles. They turned away after other gods. Now the church is dwelling where Satan's throne is. It's to say that Satan has a great seat of power and worship here. It's hard to know for sure, but it seems there is a combination of political influence, a center of pagan idol worship in Pergamum. For example, Pergamum was a center for political and spiritual worship. 
Spiritually, there were temples of gods, and most especially Zeus himself. Pergamum was the first city in Asia Minor to build a temple for emperor worship, proudly referring to itself as a temple warden city for such worship. And it became the leading center for this idolatrous practice in the province, worshiping the emperor. More so, Pergamum was a center for the cult of Asclepius, the god of healing, whose symbol was a serpent, still notable in medical symbolism today, Asclepius being the Greek god of doctors and health. The god of health was worshipped in Pergamum. Church, I know you are not just in a place where Satan is working, Jesus says, but a place where Satan is centrally worshipped all around. A place where Satan is loved and he is adored and he is obeyed and he has many friends and many worshipers. In addition, each god or goddess in the region was related to a specific vocation or a guild. So to gain acceptance in these guilds, in this network, if you will, to get into the network of health, you need to pay homage to the god of health. To get into the network of business, you need to pay homage to the god of business. And here in Pergamum, the god of health sits. Look next. Chapter 2, verse 14. I have a few things against you. You've remained faithful even though some have died. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Remember, you couldn't curse them. We just needed to tempt them. So you also have some who are holding the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Difficult to know who the Nicolaitans were, but the teaching seems to be similar to that which is prominent in Pergamum. Same thing, survived the great threat, remained faithful even to death, even during Antipas, survived the great might and the curse of Moab only to fall into compromise in worship. If you can't kill the church, get the church to compromise. If you can't curse the people of God, corrupt the people of God. As H.B. Charles said, if the devil can't kill a church, he'll just join it. Just like hard as King Balak, Balak might try to oppose and attack the church, <clears throat> did not work. Balaam helped him see you don't have to send your soldiers down to overcome Israel. Send the worshiping prostitutes from your temples. The fact that Israel was eating food sacrificed to idols and committing sexual morality wasn't just about food and sex. Rather, it was participation. It was the corruption in their worship and, and the ways of those who dwell in the throne of Satan. There are some who survived prison. There are some who remained faithful even while their friend Antipas was being killed. But how sad that some of them forsook the God who had saved them. And what can those who forsake Christ expect if they compromise the truth of God's word, if we compromise the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can expect the same fate of Balaam. Chapter 2, verse 16 in Revelation, 
Jesus says to the church, Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. That's Jesus talking to the church in Pergamum. If you want to switch altars in Pergamum, if you want to exchange the God of the universe for Asclepius, the false God, if you want to do that instead of the true God, repent. Repent of worshiping your own health, joining all the gods of Pergamum. Quit whoring after other gods. If not, Balaam met an angel of the Lord with his sword drawn. Balaam died by the sword. So too will all who follow in Balaam's way. So too will all those who worship at the throne of Satan. Friends, it's not Russia that Revelation warns us most about. Imprisonment from the government is not our <clears throat> greatest concern. Our greatest concern is that Jesus would come to our lampstand, the worship meant for God, and find that like per Pergamum, some have lit candles to the worship of the world around us. Though some are being killed in the world for their faith, some are willing to compromise with the world. And the pruning priest of the temple of God will cut down, cut out all but the worship of God in the heavenly temple. Church, remember, we do not first know Jesus as a priest caring for the worship of the temple with the sword in his mouth. We know Jesus as the Son of God with a crown of thorns on his head. Jesus did not come first to pierce anyone with his sword. He came to have his hands and his feet pierced with nails. He did not come first to shed someone else's blood. He came to have his own blood shed for the forgiveness of the sins of all men. Come to Jesus today who is pierced for you. Believe in Jesus Christ, crucified for sinners, his death for your death, his blood to wash away your sins. But if you claim to follow and trust Jesus, do not think lightly about corrupted faith in Jesus. Shared worship of God is not worshiping God. Do not think lightly about surviving persecution only to be persuaded to join in worshiping the idols of the land. Here is what Jesus promises to you, church. Here is what you can hope in, church. Revelation chapter 2, look at verse 17. <coughs> verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers... I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it that no one knows except the one who receives it. Hidden manna. Maybe you have to choose between eating and being faithful to the Lord. Maybe you have to choose like Israel. We can be slaves in Egypt or we can be free in the desert. Which will it be? Church, God will feed his people in the desert. God will feed his people in the desert. Don't miss this. One of the things that King Balak was afraid of was that there were so many Israelites, they were going to eat all the food. 
First thing Balak said when he saw Israel was, this horde's now going to lick up all that's around us like the ox licks up the grass in the field. But what Balak apparently didn't know was that there wasn't enough food to feed the one million Israelites. And at that time, between Jericho and the Jordan, Israel was still eating manna, that miraculous bread which God was providing them all the way those 40 years. God was feeding his people. They did not need to worship Balak's gods to make sure they had food. Now Jesus says to the church, to the one who overcomes the persuasion of Pergamum and idol worship, the one who refuses to worship at the throne of Satan, I've got food for you. And what is this white stone? I might not have really excited you so much when you heard it at first. A white stone? Well, we've got plenty of those around here in Texas. It's likely that this was a term known in the Greek and Roman world. It's possible that it means this. Those who conquered in the games. This was a known practice in the Greek-Roman world. Those who conquered in games would receive a small white pebble with an insignia on it. And the victors of the games could use these like tickets to get into celebrity banquets. And if that's what Jesus is referring to here, then Jesus is saying, look, look, overcome this battle, overcome their persuasion to join in their idol worship, and I will give you a stone with a name no one else even knows. And you might miss the banquets in Pergamum. You might miss the feast and the celebrity parties here on earth, but you will come with me to the messianic banquet. You may be cast out here, but you will be welcomed at the table of Christ if there is no compromise in you. If you conquer by not compromising. Numbers records that 24,000 Israelites did not make it to the promised land because they fell into Balaam's trap and they worshipped Baal. No compromise. Faith in Jesus is not worshipping Jesus next to the gods of fertility. And also worshiping the idols of health or the idols of financial success or the idol of pleasure. No compromise. There's one King, Jesus. There's one God, the Father. There's one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Three in one, we worship them only. But these kinds of choices, they're not going to be choices that we're really going to have to make, right? These are not choices our kids are going to have to grow up and make, right? That's wrong. Speaking of our modern times, one pastor explains our current situation and the current compromises that we are being asked to make. In a book written in 2018, he says, We're living in a world of changing cultural values, and if you do not conform, you will be punished. In this brave new world, it's a hate crime to affirm publicly that God ordained marriage as a covenant relationship between one man and one woman for life. 
In this brave new world, it is anti-woman to believe that the baby inside a mother's womb is a person. In this brave new world, it is intolerant to hold that gender identity is defined by the God who created us as male and female. In this brave new world, it is anti-science to acknowledge our universe as an orderly creation by an omnipotent God. And to protect our brave new world from all who continue to worship an antiquated deity, such as the God of the Bible, Western governments enact laws that ensure we will bow down before the culture's post-modern idols in their newfound temples. There is no room for postmodern quote, atheist, not believing in our culture's new emerging values is simply not an option. A book written three years ago in a time we'll now refer to as pre-COVID. Is it believable that the world we're in? Here's an article released on Friday, April the 23rd, 2021. Two days ago. The title is Pornography in schools, teachers suffering in fearful silence. I'm going to read from the article for a moment. The article says, in the fall of 2020, according to school English teachers, a small group of administrators made the nearly unilateral decision to de-emphasize traditional literature in favor of more, quote, diverse contemporary literature, which featured what many parents complained were, quote, adult themes. Passages in the book included grossly graphic sexual depictions of matters I am not even thinking about repeating in this spot. Many of them illegal, violent, and containing minors. Upon learning of the content, parents complained vociferously but were met with protests from a small group of activist teachers. In addition to being called racists, homophobes, religious zealots, and bigots, for questioning the age appropriateness of the books, some of the parents who voiced their dissidents received anonymous messages at their homes with Christian terms written across vulgar images. Again, some phrases I've just used general language for. Others received subscriptions to adult magazines in their personal emails. Still others received putrid feud food items and dead animals on their doorsteps. We know they're watching us, they tell us. One 54-year-old middle school language arts teacher told the news source in an interview. Our jobs used to be defined by how we teach the essential knowledge and skills material for our state. And now it's how we follow the district-mandated curriculum. Now if you don't follow it, you can be fired, stated another high school teacher. Other teachers stated that they are deeply fearful about losing employment on the, and they are on the brink of retirement. With pensions and retirement plans on the line, the price feels too high. I just need to hold on one more year, one middle school teacher stated. Three more years for me, said her colleague, both speaking anonymously on a group call. Before ending each interview, the journalist asked each teacher what it would take for him or her to speak publicly about their concerns. 
Over and over and over again, he receives the same responses almost verbatim. I don't think it's worth it. I don't think it's worth protecting our kids from things I couldn't even mention here. The journalist says, what if, I mused, what if you could count on overwhelming community support? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe ask someone who isn't so close to retirement. Teachers afraid to speak up about the grossest sexual perversion being handed to middle schoolers in public school because they might lose their jobs. This is not a what-if scenario. This is Friday's news. Is this San Francisco, California? Is this Seattle, Washington? No. This was published two days ago describing the independent school district of Leander, Texas. Our neighbors. No compromise. Are you prepared to hold the line and say this is true and this is false. I will not join in worshiping in your temples. I will not join in eating food sacrificed to your idols. I won't stand for it. Do not pretend that our jobs and our families and our schools and our culture and our laws are not staring right into the face of Revelation chapter 2 and Pergamum. Will we join in and compromise or will we remain faithful to Jesus Christ? That we might not have food for the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. That we might not be welcomed in places of importance to the one who conquers, I'll give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. You will be welcomed into the eternal throne room, the eternal worship center, the garden, the city, that is heaven, where God dwells. Let's forsake anything we might lose here that we might keep and gain Christ forever. Let's pray.